Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 24, how Eleazar only gave Rebecca one essential point about her future husband Isaac, and how we only need to know one essential point about the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is God. Now, we want to encourage you to download this message today at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Download or listen to all the messages from Friendship with God and Tom Cantor for free at our website, again, friendshipwithgod.org. And also, you can download the iTunes podcast of Friendship with God and get all the messages free on iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, Passover will soon be here as well as Easter. And Tom Cantor has incredible teaching on the personal relevance of the Passover from Exodus 12 and Isaiah 53. We want to encourage you to pick up this teaching on the Passover to give to any Christian or to a Jewish unbeliever at Passover time to help them see the truth and evidence of the scriptures in who the Messiah really is. Now, if you've never really studied the Passover and the importance of someone having their own personal lamb and the Jewish customs behind the Haggadah, we want you to pick up the personal relevance of the Passover from Tom Cantor. This teaching is yours and available for a gift of $20 or more to the Friendship with God radio program. We'll send this to you. So call us now or after the program at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. It takes a mind that's channeled to see God as the giver and the provider and not allow the mind to take the natural course of, I grew my wealth, I grew my accomplishments. That's why those first three words in verse 35 are so critical of what Eliezer said when he starts right off the bat and he says, the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. So after introducing himself here with these words, these first words, he just wanted there to be no doubt as to what happened to Abraham. There's no way that Eliezer is going to leave his hearers now for one second that Abraham, by his own cleverness and his strength, had gained all that he had. That's the reason that's so critical for us. It's also the reason why God judged the Assyrians, because the Assyrians, God used them to punish Israel, and then they gathered spoil, but then they took it a little bit too far. It says in Isaiah 10, 13 through 15, for he saith, by the strength of my hand, I've done it. And by my wisdom, I'm prudent. I've removed the bounds of the people, robbed their treasures, put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathereth eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth, and there was none that moved the wing or opened the mouth or peeped. And then God asked the question. God, in essence, was saying to the Syrians, I used you to punish them. So he asked the question, shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it, as if the rod should shake itself against him that lifted up, or as if the staff should lift up itself as if it were no wood? you imagine that? If you had a a saw and you're sawing like that, and all of a sudden the saw starts shaking and starts telling you what to do? You know, that's what God's saying. To look on what we have and what we've accomplished and to say, really, it's the words of Satan. It's the words that Satan said. When God says, Satan, you looked at your brightness. Instead of attributing it as a gift from God, your wisdom, God says, was corrupted. Your wisdom became deformed by saying that it was your own beauty and God had nothing to do with it. That's what's being said in Ezekiel 28. 15 through 17, when God says to Satan, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till 
iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they filled the midst of thee with violence. Thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God and destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of the brightness. I'll cast thee to the ground, I'll lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So whenever we start to think, that, boy, we really have done it. You know, we have accomplished it. God had nothing to do with it. God says that's a corruption of your wisdom. It's a corruption of your understanding. And Eliezer would have nothing to do with any inference that Abraham gained everything, and it was because of Abraham. So he starts off, the Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he's become great. Now, in verse 36, we see here, that Eliezer tells them that Abraham had a son. And it's kind of interesting how Eliezer puts it in verse 36. How did Eliezer explain that Abraham had a son? Did Eliezer just say, my master Abraham had a son? What did he say? And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him have he given all that he hath. See, explaining to them that Abraham had a son, he says it this way. He said, Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. See, what we see here in verse 36 is Eliezer speaking about Sarah. And first of all, he calls Sarah my master's wife. And so it's almost like you can hear Eliezer saying, now look, you may have heard (laughs) by the grapevine that Abraham had a son called Ishmael with another woman named Hagar. I'm not talking about that son because that son was with Hagar and I'm not calling Hagar my master's wife. I'm talking about the son with Sarah and she's my master's wife. See, it's as if Eliezer is saying that Sarah has always been my master's wife. Hagar was never my master's wife, even though they had a son together, but that's a different issue. And I don't want to go into that. (laughs) So then Eliezer explains to them that she bore the son to Abraham when she was old. And so it's as if he was saying, you know, the Jews seek a sign. That's a sign. That's a miraculous sign. You know, she was old that she should have this son that was given to her as a gift from God. It reminds me of Pastor Chesko. He and his wife were trying to have a baby for 14 years and they couldn't. And so they gave up. And then one day, Tom told me that his wife just started going out and buying baby girl clothes. (laughs) And he asked her, what are you doing? (laughs) And she said, well, God told me we're going to have a baby girl. He says, God told you you're going to have a baby? He says, yeah, God told me. And he says, well, you realize that when you say that, you're blowing my theology (laughs) about not having extra biblical revelation. (laughs) And sure enough, she went to the doctor and she was pregnant. And sure enough, when it was born, there was a girl. And so they look at their daughter like it's a miracle from God. And that's what Eliezer is saying in verse 36, that the son is a miracle because Sarah was old when he had him. Okay, what does Eliezer explain about the son in the last part of verse 36? He gets it all, doesn't it? Unto him hath he given all that he hath. Unto him hath he given all that he hath. See, this is clearly the most important point about Isaac. You know, when you want to make a really important point, don't dilute it with a lot of other stuff. Just say the point and let it stay there like that. That's what's being done here. That's what's so interesting about what he says here. He doesn't say anything else about Isaac. 
I mean, you, would think, you might think to yourself, you know, uh, she's going to go marry him. She goes, can you tell us a little bit about him? I mean, what kind of personality does he have? Eliezer does not say anything about his personality. You know, they might say, you know, well, you know, we're just a little curious. Is he tall? Is he short? What's the color of his hair? Is he fat? Is he skinny? Is he handsome? He tells them nothing about his physical appearance. All that Eliezer says about Isaac is this one short description in verse 36. Unto him hath he given all that he hath. And it's remarkable here. You know another thing that's remarkable about this? Is that there's the same conspicuous by its absence that we saw in how Eliezer's name is missing out of this longest chapter in Genesis. He doesn't even tell him his name is Isaac. He doesn't even tell them. They might say, well, what's his name? He doesn't tell them that. And you'd think they might like to know right away what the name of their son-in-law is going to be, you know. (laughs) He's going to be the husband of Rebecca, and he doesn't give his name. And in this narrative, Eliezer is telling the family about Isaac. And God has chosen to not include Isaac's name in this narrative of Eliezer telling the family about him. It's so conspicuous by its absence. It's so meaningful. It's as if Eliezer is focusing the family. I want you to see one statement. I want you to focus on this. Unto him hath he given all that he hath. That's what you need to see. That's what needs to be in your mind. Don't get distracted by how he looks and what his personality is like, not even what his name is. He's got a funny name, laughter, I mean, you know, but anyway. But don't get distracted by that. Focus in, hone in on, put before you this statement. This is it. Unto him hath he given all that he hath. As is it, he's saying, his stature's not important. What's important is unto him hath he given all that he hath. His hair color, his weight, his, whether or not he's that handsome, that's not important. What's important is the only important thing is unto him hath he given all that he hath. As a matter of fact, even his name, that's not important. The only thing you need to focus in on is unto him hath he given all that he hath. He's like saying, I don't want to distract you. I don't want to distract you with anything else about him. I just want you to see the important point that unto him hath he given all that he hath. And because of Eliezer's focus on that one point, the family gets the message. The message is unto him hath he given all that he hath. That's the message. That's exactly what our heavenly father And our heavenly Eliezer, the Holy Spirit, wants us to see about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's just as there was one essential point about Isaac that Eliezer was driving and focusing for them to see. There's one essential point about the Lord Jesus Christ that he wants us to see without any distraction at all. And it's a verse I quoted earlier. It's a book, Colossians, where it says in verses 15 through 17, he's the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. By him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, doesn't matter. Whether they're thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. See, the essential point about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he's God the creator, that all things were created by him and for him. And he's in front of, he's the preeminent, he's before all things. 
The essential point is in Colossians 2, 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in him. That's what God wants us to focus on about him. Just as Eliezer says nothing about how Isaac looked or his temperament. We have no paintings of the Lord Jesus Christ, no description of his physical characteristics so that we wouldn't be distracted. What's important about the Lord Jesus Christ is who he is. He's the creator God and in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then the next verse in Colossians, after Colossians 2.9, it tells us how, because of this essential point, because of this point for which God has put no other distractions in our way, Because of this, it tells us how we are to get relief from whatever problem is troubling us. And so you put the two verses together, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says like this, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. See the focus, from him to you. In him, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, now you You're complete in him. And then back to him. He's the head of all principality and power. So when we look within ourselves, we become depressed. That's the road to depression. Look within yourself. When you're introspective, when we are introspective, and we begin to analyze our feelings. Let's see, what do I feel? And then we begin to analyze why. Let's see, why do I feel this way? That's the downward road to depression. When we listen to psychologists who focus on how do you feel, and let me try to ask questions to get an understanding of why you feel the way you feel, you walk out of there depressed. But they will prescribe some drugs for you so that drug companies are happy. When we look within ourselves, when we look at our life situations, we see incompleteness incompleteness. We see big gaping holes in our heart that leave us with a desperate feeling of emptiness. And we feel so lost and we feel so without. But Colossians 2, 9 and 10 tells us that in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we look at him, we see Christ in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Is there anything more complete than that? And he's the head of all principality and power. And so it tells us, Colossians 2, 9 through 10 tells us, in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no incompleteness like there is in us. In the Lord Jesus Christ, there are no big gaping holes of vast emptiness in his heart like there are in our hearts. The Lord Jesus Christ has no need to go to a psychiatrist to analyze what he feels and then to discover why he feels the way he feels. Because Colossians 2, 9 through 10 tells us that all we need, all we need, and that's why we have this tremendous simple solution to all of our incompleteness in this simple statement, ye are complete in him. That's it. You are complete in him. In ourselves, we are incomplete in ourselves, and that leads us to depression and lostness. But in him, we're happy because we find our completeness in him. In ourselves, we're incomplete in our emptiness, but we're whole and complete in him. And just as Eliezer focused the family to this one point about Isaac at the end of verse 36, unto him hath he given all that he hath, so God wants to focus our attention in, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, from Colossians 2, 9. And then he is the principality of all power. And the Lord Jesus Christ is all that we are not. And the Lord Jesus Christ is all that we need. You know, about 30 years ago, my wife had a terrible depression. 
went on for months. And you know what broke it? It was kind of interesting what broke the depression we were living out in Lakeside. When she went outside and she closed her eyes and just pointed her face for a long period of time at the sun. And just the sun, the external light of the sun, lifted her out of her own darkness. We have darkness inside of each one of us. And when we look within ourselves, we go deeper into our darkness. But by us giving that Eliezer focus on who the Lord Jesus Christ is, God is showing us how he will lift us out of our darkness into his light. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just a moment. We'd like to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's available for free, signing up with your email by going to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program. You can also call us now or after the program with your support and donation at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. It'll help us to continue airing on this station in your city. You can also call us for a free gift for a lost Jewish friend that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel. Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries will give you a free gift to reach your lost Jewish friend, and that's made available by your donations and your support, but we'll provide that free if you have a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. Call us at 800-247-3051. And another way to put that is that in Colossians 2, 9-10, through 10, another way to put it, just to summarize what it's saying there, is to say it like this. Everything is in Jesus, and he is everything to us. Everything is in Jesus, and he is everything to us. So just as Eliezer knew that if the family grasped that one point about Isaac, in the end of verse 36, unto him hath he given all that he hath, that they would have gotten all they need to know. And so God knows that if we just grasp this one point about the Lord Jesus that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and he's the head of all principality and power, then we will have gotten all that we need to see. And what we need to see is we are complete in him, Colossians 2.10. Now we see in verses 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, how Eliezer speaks of Abraham as my master. He speaks of Abraham as my master. As a matter of fact, when Eliezer is speaking to the family, he only refers to Abraham as my master. He never refers to the family. When he's speaking directly to the family, he doesn't call him Abraham. He just calls him my master in those verses. And by using that term, my master, Eliezer is not just referring to Abraham as his boss, but he's not just saying that Abraham is the leader of his work, but by using this term, my master, Adoni, Eliezer is saying that Abraham is the leader of his heart because Eliezer has started his speech in verse 34 by introducing himself simply as, I am Abraham's servant. And he moves on in verse 35 to explain about Abraham, to talk about Abraham and see that how all has come from God, the blessing of God. And then he goes on to verse 36. And we see how Eliezer's heart is joined now as he's describing us in Abraham's dilemma. Abraham's dilemma has become Eliezer's dilemma. And in verse 36, we see here Eliezer is feeling this anxious concern on the part of Abraham and Sarah of going through their lives with no children, no child, no son to inherit it all. 
And then he's saying, Eliezer's saying, I was with Abraham and Sarah in heart, in their anxious concern now, as they say, where's the bride going to come from for Isaac? And so Eliezer is painting for us a picture of what joy there was when the son was finally born in Sarah's old age. And he was saying here, that was my joy too, their joy and my joy, because he's leader of my heart. And Eliezer is saying that he is with them in, in this great relief when the son was born. Now he's telling them that he's given all that he has to the son, Abraham has. And now he's saying, that Eliezer is saying, and I was right with Abraham in full heart agreement to give everything to the son. And again, as Eliezer says to the family that there's this anxious concern to find a bride, Eliezer is saying to them that I let Abraham's anxious concern infect my heart. I just opened my heart to Abraham's anxious concern, so now it's become my anxious concern. So as Eliezer is explaining this to the family, he's not like a sterile newscaster reading off a script, you know, it's something, you know, today a massive earthquake hit the coast of Indonesia, huge tsunami that destroyed many people. He's not doing that. Eliezer is like the newscaster. He's into it. He's deeply emotionally concerned. He says, just today, a massive earthquake struck Indonesia. Many people were destroyed. That's Eliezer. He's that way. He's so involved. And he's reporting this because he's entered into a oneness with Abraham's heart. And he speaks to the family. And as he's speaking to the family, the family's looking at Eliezer. And they're beginning to say to themselves, I see a transformation taking place here in this man. I'm not seeing Eliezer anymore. I'm seeing Abraham. Because there is a slow transformation from the person of Eliezer to the person of Abraham. Because it's the way that Eliezer explained to the family what happens that the family begins to think that's funny. He didn't tell us what his name was. I'm seeing Abraham here. That's why his name doesn't appear in the chapter. It's because Eliezer, as the faithful servant, he's so entered into the heart of Abraham. When he speaks, others see Abraham. Freeze that picture in your mind. Just freeze that picture in your mind of how Eliezer has so entered into the heart of Abraham that others see Abraham in Eliezer. Because that's our picture. That's our example of how we are to be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Eliezer, he took time, he took thought to enter into the heart of Abraham with his only son that he gave everything to. So, we're to take time We're to take thought to enter into the heart of God the Father with his only begotten Son that he gave everything to. Eliezer took time and he took thought to enter into his heart so that he let the concern, Abraham's concern, become his concern. So we're to let God's heart of concern enter our heart to find a bride for his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when we explain the gospel to others, we're like Eliezer. We're not just reporting sterile facts in a monotone, expressionless manner, but we're saying God has only one son. He's got only one begotten son. He's looking for a bride for his son, and people can sense the greatness that has been put into this person and the anxious concern that there should be a bride. And he says, and this bride, if they believe, they won't perish. They'll have everlasting life. And so, like Eliezer, to have so entered into that concern that when we explain the gospel, it's like God is explaining the issues through us, and we just kind of disappear. And people say, you know, I see God speaking through that person. And when we speak, it's like about God the Father and having an only Son, there should be a smile on our face. That's great. He has everything to Him. We speak about God seeking of uh, believers' concern as we reach out. And reach out. And when they look at us, 
then it should be 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, in the place of Christ, be you reconciled to God. So with his heart so involved in Abraham's concern, Eliezer then tells the family in verse 37, my master made me swear, saying thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of Canaanite among whom I dwell. So he's saying, my master made me swear. Now we can see here that Eliezer made this oath, but it was with his will. It was not against his will. It's not like, you know, my master forced me to do this, and I hate being here, and I especially hate talking to you and all these camels and everything. (laughs) He wasn't that way at all. Because, see, the great commission that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the world. See, that is not a suggestion. That is not an option for us. That's a command. That's a command that we are to take an oath to. That's a command of our Master. I want you to make an oath to me that you will go, that you will teach, that you will make disciples. And just as Abraham asked Eliezer to make this personal oath, so the Lord Jesus Christ is asking us, make a personal oath to commit your lives to going, teaching, making disciples. So what we see here is that Eliezer, he's not ashamed of the oath he made. As a matter of fact, he starts off and he doesn't start off and say, you know, well, let me tell you what a sad sack I am. You know, I have the unhappy task of getting a wife for Isaac. That's not him. When he told about the oath that he had made to Abraham, he was telling them, that oath is like a badge. It's like a medal on me. Another day of incredible teaching here on Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Don't forget to pick up Tom Cantor's Friendship with God Bible. It's available at our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Over 2,200 pages, 600 pages of helps and notes and a lambskin leather cover. It's a wonderful reference and study Bible you'll want to have. You can also call us directly to pick that up at 800-247-3051. 800 dollars $90 will include shipping and handling. We'll send you the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. 800 247